Good morning, Travis family. Um, what a, a time to, to be alive. Um, it is uh, one of those points in time where um, all of us are going to look back to 2020 and just think what in the world uh, went on. Um, talking with uh, some of our senior adults this week uh, who have been around much longer than I have and who unequivocally will just say uh, we have never experienced anything like this. Um, I don't know what day we are in in the midst of this quarantine, but I know that um, it has been a huge disruptor for me personally, for our church, for our economy, for our workload, uh, just for the normalcy that, that went with just walking day by day uh, in, a, in a normal time. Um, I've gotten to that place where I, I miss four or five weeks ago. Um, I miss the rush. I, I even miss the busyness uh, in a way um, and just missing the normal rhythms and the normal routines. But I think the question for the church, for our church and for all churches, is to simply look in the midst of our culture and to ask the question, what is God doing with this? What is he teaching us about himself? What is he wanting us to learn about our own selves? And in the midst of all of this disruption, all of this chaos, it's one of those moments where um, even this past week we experienced as a family, I was looking at my, my two sons and I remember telling Haley, hey, um, it's time to go get a haircut. And uh, she looked at me and was like, well, where are we going to go get a haircut? And I said, I don't know. Uh, we need to get the scissors out. We can't go get haircuts. Um, we've gone to the grocery store and we've experienced alongside everyone else. There's no bread in certain places. There's, there's no eggs. The, the stores, the shelves are just vacant. And you end up in this posture where you go, what am I going to do? And, and this place of, of worry, and for some of us, uh, even a, a place of despair that sort of comes along quickly. And how am I going to provide? How am I going to provide financially for my family? Um, just yesterday, um, I had read that uh, we broke all-time records for people that were filing for unemployment. Um, whether or not we are in a recession or headed to one or a depression or however we view these things economically, God is calling his people to enter into a posture of faith and a posture of, of trust. I was reminded uh, this week, I, I don't know when the last time I was actually in the book of Chronicles, but I remembered um, earlier this week, just this sort of off-putting story that, that took place that was almost insignificant at the time that I remember first reading it. And, and so the Lord brought me back to this place in 2 Chronicles 15, verses three through six. And what I wanna do is I, I wanna walk through these scriptures for us because I believe that they give us a clear word as a gathered people, though we gather remotely uh, in the confines of our living room, that God is still speaking to his people. I want to remind you that as we read some of this and we see some of these promises that were given, that we need to be reminded that these were given to a particular group of people at a particular group of time. Yet even though that is true and that's the case, the principles sort of uh, transcend all of time and enter into 2020. And I believe that God has a word for his people this morning, um, even as we sit and worship with our families and maybe our friends if we're lucky this morning. 
But it begins in, in verse 5 of 2 Chronicles 15. And listen to what the people of God were experiencing and see if it is not applicable to us today. In verse 5, the writer says this, In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. I find it striking in verse 5 where he just simply makes the statement of what is going on in the context of the culture that there was no peace. There was no peace for anyone you couldn't escape the, the worry and the anxiety even when you were in the, the confines of your home. And then when you leave the city to go out and to, to go about your normal day to day, you experience this lack of peace. And, and we're seeing this all over the news and all over social media. We're seeing Christians and non-Christians struggle with just having peace and having contentment even in the midst of these circumstances. For these great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. You know, one thing that, that we know for sure is that this coronavirus, COVID-19, or whatever it is that you're personally referring to it as, it has afflicted the entire world. It has afflicted the entire global population of, of all the people in the uttermost parts of the world. Everyone is deeply affected by this. I saw a video just yesterday of people who had entered into the streets in Cairo, Egypt to protest the government telling them they have to stay at home because of the virus and seeking to control the virus. This virus has reached every part of our country, every part of our state, and here in our city, and even in our neighborhoods. But he says in verse 6, he says they were broken into pieces. These nations were crushed by nation and city by city. And the, and the question is, what, what brought it to this place? You know, he says at the end of verse 6 that, that God troubled them with every sort of distress. I heard one well-meaning Christian make the statement, though I happen to completely disagree with it, that God was the one who, who was responsible for these things. And, and friend, I just want to caution us into not giving responsibility to God on, on things like this in particular, that we have to remember that God is sovereign even in the midst of this coronavirus. But it is his will that no man should perish, but, but should have eternal life. And, and so this is a result of the fallen world in which we live in. Nowhere does God take personal responsibility for evils and atrocities, but rather he points to the fact that our fall, that all of creation, according to Romans 1, is affected by the fall. Not just us as human beings, but everything that we experience. And though he says God troubles them with every sort of distress. And so we ask the question, just like the, the readers who were reading this book in, at the original time, what could have been the cause of this? Well, to answer that, we have to jump back up to verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 15, where he gives us really three reasons why this calamity has taken place. If you notice in verse 3, it's, it says this. For a long time, Israel, or the people of God, they were without the true God. And they were without a, a teaching priest, and they were without the law. 
So there are three things that, that God gives us in the text. And he begins by just saying they were without the true God. And what this means is, is when the king came into the, to the being in, in verse 15, King Asa, he began to issue these reforms. He, he was actually a pretty good king by, by all the standards of, of most kings. But though he, he sought to reform the culture, the people of God and, and those that were far from God were, were still wicked. They were still caught up in their sins and, and they were in a culture that, that worshipped many gods as opposed to the one true God. It was a culture at the time that is a culture that is similar to this day that was caught up in idolatry. Now you simply ask the question, well, what is idolatry? I would simply answer that by just saying that idolatry is anything that promises security or joy to your life apart from our God. Any way that we seek safety and refuge or joy and happiness or contentedness apart from our God, as he's been revealed in this Bible, has, has been called and declared, according to the word of God, an idol. And I want to ask us this morning as we worship with our families at home, how is God doing in uprooting the idolatry in your heart and, and in mine? There's a couple of things that I think we ought to know about idolatry and about this statement that they were without this one true God and worshiping the right God. Is Idolatry is, is one of these things that, that it engages the deepest longings of our hearts. Idolatry for the church is more often rooted in the emotions and the feelings. We think of idolatry as, as often going to uh, these temples of worship and, and offering to these false gods. But, but for the church to root out idolatry, it really has to do more with, with how we think and how we feel. And often the idols that exist within our heart on whether or not we are worshiping the one true God or the God that has been revealed according to the scriptures is what is it that our deepest longings and our deepest affections speak to. In other words, we simply ask the question, if I lost this thing in my life, would, would I continue to survive? Would I be okay if I, if I didn't have this dream or this longing or this expectation filled? That question is a pretty good indicator for all of the church to be able to diagnose whether or not they are worshiping the one true God of the Bible or rather they are worshiping not necessarily graven images, but images that have begun to take root in their heart. If I lost this thing, would I survive? But listen to this. Idols also demand great sacrifices in our lives. Meaning that whenever we give our attention and our time, whenever we allow our hearts and our minds to become consumed with worry, to become consumed with, with doubt, to become consumed with the idea, does, does God really have my best interest in mind as I go through all of these things? Maybe you've lost your job this week or you're wondering how you're going to pay your bills. Uh, wherever it is that God finds you this morning. We simply must, as a people of God, come back to the place where we recognize what is it in my life that God is wanting me to give up. And, and maybe I've been trusting in my own ability, in my own talents, in my own resources. I mean, this is a, a moment that defines our culture on, on what is it that we are putting our hope ultimately in. Haley and I experienced this this week when we were Sort of trying to figure out, like, how many groceries can we get? And, 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 and where are the groceries? And, and how accessible are they? And, and everybody seems to just sort of be in, in panic mode. 
And it's this little reminder that that God in the midst of all of these things, I believe, is whispering to every single one of us to to be still and know that I am God and to know that I'm going to be exalted in all of the nations in the midst of this. And so the question for the people of God this morning is, what gospel are we portraying to the world that is watching us? Or rather, are we being consumed with thinking the worst? Are we being consumed with all of the the infinite possibilities that exist? Friend, that is no place to live. That is no place to be. That is no place to dwell. For the Bible tells us to think about what is true and noble and right and pure. Those things that are righteous, those things that are good, those things that are worthy. These are the things that we are to put our attention on. And these are the things that we are to focus. But idols have a way of of bringing out a defensiveness in us at times. To know whether or not we are worshiping the one true God or to know whether or not we are giving our attention and our hearts and our affections on things that are not God. In the midst of all of this, we tend to want to protect the things that we love the most. Several years ago, as I was finished a sermon and, and was preaching to my church, and I had a gentleman approach me after the service, and he said, Preacher, you were stepping all over my toes. And, and I just said, Friend, um, it wasn't my intention to, to personally step on your toes. And, and I said, what, what did God teach you? And, and what was God speaking to you? What was God asking you to change as, as, I, as I tried to speak faithfully his, his scriptures and his texts? What is it that God wants you to become? And he said, Well, I, I'm wrestling with these, these own issues in my own life, and I can't help but be defensive about that. But I know that in the midst of that defensiveness, that these are the things that the Spirit of God is revealing to me that I need to change about myself. And he was on the path to deal with the idolatry that existed within his heart. And it really exists within all of our hearts. But I want you to notice in verse three, he goes on and he says, Israel for a long time was without the one true God, but they were also without a teaching priest. There's an old cliched statement that some of you may have heard before, but it simply goes like this, where there is a mist in the pulpit, there is a fog in the pew. These were a people who had gotten away from what I believe was, was teaching and admonition and, and exhortation that was given from the word of God and from the scriptures that God had given. It was a people who had sort of strayed to to self-help messages and and maybe topical sermons and talks and lessons. And they had moved away because the preacher had moved away. Because the preacher was, was unclear because he didn't have a word from God. And so therefore the people moved away from God. It was a people that that lost the idea that the word of God is central to our worship. That everything that we do and in every which way that we orient our hearts must be a the scriptures that God has given for they were without a priest. But then he goes on and he says that they were also without the law, the law, the the guidelines that that govern us, that govern our actions. Just the other day, my oldest son, I was in the bedroom and we're just sort of shutting down for the night. He was finishing up uh, school online and he says, uh, he asked me the question, Dad, um, why is a worldview so important? And I, I simply said to him, because Connor, listen, the worldview is how we see everything. 
The worldview is, is it shapes how we live our lives. It shapes our actions. It shapes what we do and how we think. A worldview shapes our heart's affections. It, it shows us what we should give our attention to. And the most important thing is making sure that our worldview is rooted in a biblical worldview, rooted in the word of God. So as we see all of this calamity and as we see all of this heartache, we simply want to see culture and to see this virus, this pandemic through the lens of scripture and to see it as God chooses to reveal it. But you know, this, this pandemic has, is teaching me several things about my own personal worldview. And the first thing that I have just been struck with personally over this is this idea that this pandemic absolutely 100% confronts my delusion of independence from God. It speaks to the heart of me as, a, as I, I, I want to be a, a very self-sufficient person. I'm, I'm a motivated person. I want to be eager about the things that I do. But this pandemic, it, it makes very self-sufficient people feel very helpless at this time. And it's this reminder that, that I should not be independent in my thoughts and in my heart and my affections towards God and leaning into Him during this time. It also is a reminder to me that though our, our scientists and our medical professionals are, are seeking a cure and they're testing things out, this is just one of those reminders for, for me as a Christian to just simply pause and to step back and to go, God, you're, you're sovereign in the midst of all of this. My worldview shows me and it demands that I, I put my trust and my faith in you and your goodness and that you are all powerful and that in a snap of a fingers, you could make this go away. But until you do, God, what is it that you are teaching your church and your people and and can you, could you be using this circumstance to call people to salvation for the first time? Those that are far from God coming to know Christ. But friend, as dangerous as this pandemic is, and as dangerous as, as this disease is, and, and, and no doubt, there is no doubt in my mind that we are going to begin to see and to experience, even this week at, at Travis, we are beginning to know about relationships and people that are affiliated with this church that, that have been inflicted with this virus. And, and, and as bad as those things are, and we pray for the sick and we long for the day in which they are healed, it's a reminder that whether we are afflicted with this virus or whether we are not, every single one of us is afflicted with the virus of sin. That we are incapable, apart from God, and, and apart from God doing things in, in our lives, we are, we are incapable of saving ourselves. We are incapable of being resourceful enough um, from enduring and having perseverance. We need God to, to show himself to be strong and faithful and to rest in the promises of his word. But it's also this reminder to me that my worldview determines to me that there's absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God. That Romans 8 is one of those sweet, subtle reminders for me. But you know, this text doesn't leave us with, with a people that God just says, uh, you have all these problems and he diagnoses these, these three things and he doesn't give them the cure. 
And I want to bring us back to verse 4 where God gives the answer to to what it is that that permeates their culture. He says this in verse 4, but in their distress, it says they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and they sought him and he was found by him. Friend, I, I believe with all my heart that what God is calling you and I to do this morning is the very thing that, that he called his people to do way back in the book of Chronicles. In their distress, in the midst of this affliction, to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel, and to seek him. And to seek after him and to run to him. Turning to the Lord, that little phrase, it just simply means this. It means pursuing a relationship while submitting to his authority in our life. Pursuing a relationship while submitting to his authority. One of the things that that I'm learning in the midst of all of this that summarizes what I think is happening in in chapter 15 here in this book, but also is happening now within our culture, is God is allowing the distress in this world to create a deepening relationship with him. In the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of chaos, he is seeking to bring about a closeness with his people. I've been married to Haley for over 15 years. I dated her for three years prior to that. I knew once, I, once she caught my eye, I knew that I needed to, to lock her down as quickly as possible because I knew there were going to be other guys, friends uh, and, and enemies at the school that we went to that were going to pursue her. And so I knew as quickly as I could what I had. I, I knew it very, very quickly. And we had been dating um, for, for a little while, but we were uh, very careful in our relationship. We were very cautious. And um, on one of our dates, we, we had yet to hold hands or kiss or do any of those things. And um, so we, I took her ice skating. And uh, my angle on this was, I actually knew how to ice skate pretty, pretty well. I couldn't be a hockey player, but I could get on the ice rink and I could do my thing. And we got out there and I decided that in the midst of all of that, that I, I, I really wanted to hold her hand. And I wanted a reason to hold her hand and an excuse to hold her hand. And so I got on the ice and I pretended that I didn't know how to ice skate. Now, she didn't really know how to ice skate very well, but I knew that if I pretended in the midst of chaos and in the midst of of uncertainty and not being able to do that, I knew that it would therefore give me permission for her to draw close to me and that I would be able to hold Haley Zinkgraf's hand. And you know what? My plan worked. I was able to hold her hand. It was one of the greatest days because in that moment, I knew that I was in love with her, that I wanted to be near her, that I wanted to hold her hand. And and this simple little plot, and I've spent 15 years since then um, trying to deceive her and to trick her into a lot of different things. And and we do these things, but in the midst of, of calamity, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, God wants to be near to his people. And friend, God is near to his people. Turn to him, cry out to him. Pray to him, press in to his presence and let him be God with us today. I love you so deeply. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see you again in person here at Travis, here on this campus and to worship and to sing with you in person. I love you and God bless you. We will see you soon.